Rick Madison, Rick and Friends, and uh, here with a special guest, and I kind of ran into him at a comedy show, and we were chatting on email, and I said, hey, you, re you really got to come on. You got to come on, because uh, the world needs more humor, the world needs more laughs, and he's a funny guy. So uh, I wanted to introduce David Kopp. Welcome to the program. Hi. Thanks. <laughs> so, so David, let's let's chat a bit about how long have you been, like, do you introduce yourself as a comedian? No, no, I, I'm, if you were to say like what I do, yeah. I'm like um, a producer and a facilitator. Okay. So I do comedy, I do perform, but I also am sort of the, uh, the main, um, I run the circus. Yeah. You know? Yeah, you do, don't you? Yeah, I run the circus. So I put on the shows, I get, you know, I get the audience in there, I organize the comics, I book the pros, I get the hotels, I make sure everything's ready. It's like a little bit of everything, but I do like to perform because, uh, you know, um, at first it was leading by example, but I've been surpassed several times <laughs> over. So I'm somewhere in the middle. I lead the new guys. So uh, tell us a bit about the program because uh, you're at the back back room of Dakota's. Yeah. And the nice part, the, the, fancy part. the very, it's very bougie back there mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. And, and tell me a bit, because, you know, we got, we were chatting about uh, helping raise money for a kid who lost his bicycle. Yeah. And that was an interesting story in itself. But tell me a bit about, you do this for charities, and I just find it phenomenal, the, the work you're doing through comedy. So so how do these shows come about? Like, do you hear about a, a charitable cause and go, okay, I, I want to help that out? Like, how does that Pretty come much. into being? I mean, some people come to me. Some mm -hmm. people hear about what I do, because I do a lot. Like, um, And that's weird being on a podcast, like, bragging about what we do. But I'm just, like I said, just part of the the group right so we have right. these all these amazing comedians and we all we put on so many shows that uh we got to the point now where we 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 do one charity show one charity show every week so it's like 52 a year 53 sometimes depending if there's enough fridays in the year and um and that just means like finding a cause and then finding a sponsor so a lot of i'm connected with local businesses i have a lot of uh know professional people who support me and mm -hmm. so they get behind it they put their we put their name on it and uh give them some free tickets and we work together on the promotion and then that way we're able to donate a hundred percent of ticket sales to the cause so we raise you know thousands and thousands of dollars for causes and and primarily here in the okanagan so when so you obviously have a rolodex of these comedians yeah i mean everyone we're just friends it's it's it seems like there might, you know, I, I've been on the inside for so long. I don't know what it looks like from the outside anymore. But if people imagine that there's like hundreds of comedians, we don't know each other. It's not like that at all. There's like 30 and we're all, and, and we're all best friends. And so like they're seriously like they're my best friends. And we've known each other since they started doing comedy and we, and we all do every show together. And if there's a show at another bar, it's a combination of the same 30 guys and the other bar it's a different combination but it's essentially a rotation of the 30 and and people come and go mm -hmm. that's the thing right like every uh two or three months a guy will move away but at the same time we've got open mic every week so we're constantly bringing in new recruits so right not everyone sticks with it right no i guess not so it's not competitive is it it's not really competitive i mean it's it's there's so 
many ways you can perform that the the opportunities rarely overlap and and, and so you're not really you're not really competing because all you need to do is get a microphone and someone to watch you mm-hmm. and you're doing a show right and and how did you come into this space like did you you know was there a, a pivotal moment in your life where somebody says man you're you're actually pretty funny you no should no one's ever said that <laughs> i'm still waiting on that <laughs> but you never know like it could be tomorrow <laughs> yeah yeah i'm hoping um no it was i mean here's how i got into it everyone gets into it their own way and typically typically people go to an open mic and they think i could do that mm-hmm. <laughs> i mean that's kind of my story okay like, those people are psycho because i, I know <laughs> i know how much work it takes sure. well i have some idea but it just seems like it takes a lot of work i truly believe that um, it's not as rare a talent as people think. I think uh, I think what makes a great comedian is someone who thinks outside the box a little bit. But it's usually someone who's who's quite smart, and they just, you know, a bright person is is great. Someone who who's got a, a unique way of looking at the world and has some experience, and um, and will just isn't afraid to tell a story. That's that's a great toolbox to start with. Mm-hmm. Um, I came at it from a, uh, I used to be a high school teacher. I used to teach. <laughs> oh, there's, there's lots of fodder there. Yeah. Isn't yeah, yeah. So I, I was a high school teacher. I was a sub. I was young and I, I got out of uh, university and I was teaching. And then, you know, like I came to Kelowna and I don't know if you know how teaching works. It's either there's way too many teachers or there's not enough. It's never. Yeah. There's no hap- middle ground. There's no. no middle ground. So the year that I moved here, there was too many. And so I couldn't even get on the sub list. And so I was like, what am I going to do? And uh, man, I, I was just barely hanging on. And I went and I went to an open mic and I, I saw it and I thought, that looks really fun. I'm going to try it. I tried it the next week and I just kept going ever since. It really wasn't like a big lifelong goal. It was went to a show, started the next week. So are you introverted or extroverted by nature? Like, are you the life of the party? Do you... You know, do you perform at uh, the I dinner think, table kind of thing? What I think I can be a little bit of both, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm definitely a little bit of both. I'm comfortable, um, I'm comfortable getting up and telling a story and all that kind of thing. But at the same time, like it's not something that's switched on all the time. Because uh, Amy Schumer in her book was talking about the fact that she has a light bulb. And that light bulb is her performance light bulb and, and it needs recharging a lot. And she yeah. loves alone time. She loves quiet time, like basically a candle, a bath and having a glass of wine mm. and not being Amy Schumer. And and friends of mine actually had, were lucky enough to have dinner with Robin Williams when he was still alive. And they said, that's the best time to have it with him. Well, it really is because <laughs> now it'd be a little bit snug, yeah. <laughs> but they were having this dinner and they said, he was very subtle. He was very like, you know, he, he wasn't the Robin Williams they saw on stage. And and the wife said afterwards, yeah, that's that's who he is. Like yeah. he has to turn it up, ramp it up and, and get there in order to perform. Like that's not his normal state of being. She says, if it was, he'd be exhausted all the time because it takes a tremendous yeah. amount of energy to perform. And I think I think people are, I mean, just because of the way the media is now, like I think people get that. In ways that they didn't get that before. Like it's it's not like a a, a, a 
crazy thought that no one's had. Like you, people see it all the time. We listen to podcasts, right? Yeah. Everyone's listening to like professional comedians. Well, on they podcasts. better be listening to this one. Yeah. That's for and, sure. But they're so different on the podcast, right? And and it, when podcasts first came out, there it was kind of like, oh, that's not who that person is that I saw on mm-hmm. that special. And it's like we're getting used to that. We're getting used to how people are on on and off stage, and we're also getting. I mean, there's so much comedy out there, right? That we're 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 appreciating it in a different way, and I think it's evolving as well because you've got people that are like, honestly, like so many of the top level comics have their own podcast, mm-hmm. and they're drawing in those people that know them. That's who they. That's why they do the podcast. It's all connected, right? It's like it's like they're their own brand. And Multi channels, so, yeah. All that so they're bringing in yeah. people that already get them, right? You okay. know, so you're no longer. It's no longer like who is this guy? What does he have to say? Like comics come out and they kind of introduce themselves. Like I know what you're thinking. Blah 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 about my suit and this and that's like they know you. So, so many people. So would you say that there's um, and you have to do that in order to be successful? Like, do you have to have? Like these kinds of things I, going I, on to make a, a an industry living at this. I think we're in the time, like, you know, when they, people would like talk about school, like, like, y'all, we're preparing these kids for jobs. We don't even know what the job is going to be. It's kind of like that. Mm-hmm. You're guessing what's next. You're constantly guessing like, like, you know, like, should you be on TikTok? I don't know. Will TikTok be around tomorrow? I don't know. Yeah. But like there's comics who like go hard at those different things and there's comics who go hard at just performing and just building up their little local brand because I mean you just need now I'm just quoting like some entrepreneurial book but you just need like whatever a thousand people to each give you a hundred bucks mm-hmm. for and you're making a good living you know that's all you need. And so I just need one. Yeah, 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 yeah. Me too. I'll take a lot less, by the way, if anyone's <laughs> listening. Um, but you know what I mean? So you don't need to, you just need to find your little tribe that will follow you around and how you, how you figure that out and how you decide to do that. It's up to you. Like for me personally, I watch people do that and I have to be very aware of that. And I have to hopefully inspire comics that work with me to do that because it's in everyone's interest to be able to draw a crowd. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, my role is the facilitator, right? It's not my role to be the, it's not the Dave cop show. It's clone of comedy. Do do they come up to you after a show and say, what can I work on? What do I do? Like, do you guys do that all the time? I have conversations with them constantly. And, and, and there's some people, just like anything, there's some people who are totally open to criticism. And there's some people who really want you to help push them in the right direction and will respect like a conversation. They go, oh, this guy knows what he's talking about. And then there's other people, which is purely just the nature of, of comedy because it's such an individualistic kind of uh, pursuit. They just want to do it their way. Right. And you can't tell them what to do. And, and in the end, I mean... Uh, whether or not you succeed has so much like how many different things could stop you along the way and and what are your chances of succeeding anyway so and you have to decide what is success for you mm-hmm. right like for some people it's like it's getting the best laugh of the night that's enough for some people that like just getting a good laugh is amazing like writing a good joke and having it work could be all you need and the only reason you're going to ever going to do comedy and you'll do it your whole life for that for solely that reason. Cuz Kevin, I read Kevin Hart's book as well and he was talking about the fact that 
he was uh, he called himself the little bastard mm. before he he became Kevin it. Hart, yeah, and and it. he was all about uh, yeah he was all about that that character. But then they watched Chappelle, and they were like, well, I, I think the stories, these organic stories, and our spin on them is really who we need to be for this to be sustainable. And he pivoted at a really successful time for him where he was getting booked and he was having more success and he had enough money to buy a car and he couldn't believe that and then all of a sudden he made this massive change which was kind of like a tiger woods changing their swing after mm. winning a major and he was fundamentally had to recreate his whole content like how how much content does anyone have like is it five minutes ten minutes like well it depends. I mean, if you if you asked a really experienced comic to go up on stage and do forty five, just making it up, they could do it. Really? Yeah. And I've seen wow. it done. There's there's like there's levels of talent where there's someone who's so good at improv they could crush just by making it up for forty five minutes because they know in their bones the rules of the game. Right. And they can negotiate that and figure out how to get laughs. I mean, that's a skill that that grows as you go. The idea that people are um, like what when what you said with that story of Kevin Hart. I mean, the, those stories are of of when he was very young, mm -hmm. right? And and the same with like I mean the same. There's the same story is is, is in every professional comics career, whether they'll admit it or not. It's there. Like when you the light went on, you figured out. And and the fact is, it's it's about figuring out how to be genuine on stage. Right, like Louis C.K.'s got that great thing where he didn't he didn't hit it big till he's like forty, mm -hmm. and he started talking about his family. You know, if you look at old Louis C.K., it was like almost like a vaudeville act, like one liner kind of things, mm -hmm. absurd. It was very absurd kind of observational comedy, and then it switched to like his family, and for him it was yeah. like that was the moment where he got he just and he he'll, he'll tell that story of him like giving up his act that he'd been working on for 10 years. And it's the same. It's like, but that, how much of that is one person coming to this amazing insight or is it the industry just turning a corner and saying, that's what people want to hear now and connecting with that. And I think it's interesting too, where comedians like uh, Bill Burr will have an opinion about the pandemic mm -hmm. and it comes through in comedy. And obviously he has that, that wonderful bottled rage that is part yeah. of his act yeah. but he comes across where people are are actually pulled in by the comedy but he has an overture of this opinion which you know uh, somebody with a, a political column may not be heard as much but i find that's what's really powerful about comedy right now yeah. is some of these people especially with millennials they're actually able to get across this intellectual humor, which I find far more interesting because there's a point to it. Yeah. Like you can tell you guys actually believe this and then he has a spin on that. And I find that yeah. that really interesting where they're moving the population towards a place and the population doesn't even know that they're going there. Right. It's it's being done on on a phenomenal level that's never been seen before. And we, we almost take it for granted because it's such a, uh, there's such a movement towards comedy, but like when it's done well, it's like, it's the only art form that I can think of that the better you get at it, the easier it looks. Yes. Right. You don't mm -hmm. look at like a masterpiece painting and think I could do that. But then you, people will go to a brilliant comedian and be like, he was just talking. It's like, oh yeah, yeah, he was just talking. <laughs> yeah. 
you know. Mar- uh, Ricky Gervais yeah. is like that. Oh, it- there's a genius. Like, yeah, it's so sharp. Like, that's the beautiful thing about comedy. But there's this interesting uh, thing about comedy is that it's not it's not about being the smartest person in the room. It's about having a perspective, and anyone can have a perspective and you can learn how to give that perspective across. It's not a contest to see who's the smartest guy. Mm-hmm. It's the funniest. Mm-hmm. So you don't have to be the smartest person. I mean, it helps to be smart, but, but everyone's a human, right? And everyone has experiences and you figure out how to relate that experience and get the people in the audience to, to go, Oh yeah, I know that. I get it. I remember that. That's yeah, I get that. So it's like you get them to come along and they want to hear everyone's story. They don't just want to hear the smartest person's story, right? They want to hear like they're smart, brilliant comedians are just by nature being brilliant are going to be more prolific. They're going to work faster and smarter. And, you know, if you look at like, well, who's writing for Saturday Night Live? It's like, well, some 22 year old from Harvard, Mm -hmm. you know, like, and that guy, that guy, those guys literally have to write 50 jokes a day. To keep their job. Really? Like if you, well, not Saturday Night Live, but if you write for, if you write for like late night, you have to write 50 jokes a day. Like they'll get like a newspaper and be like, okay, give us 50 jokes in two hours. And you have to sit there and you have to write them and they have to be great or they don't get in the monologue. And if, and there's literally that same day, there's probably a hundred letters coming in the mail of people that wrote 50 jokes and say, hire me instead. Right. Yeah. You know, so those, those guys are brilliant and they can do it like so quick. And, but at the same time, there's, there's also the guy from a small town that it might take him a year to write 10 minutes, but if you're just going to show and you're going to enjoy those 10 minutes, what's the matter? How long it took him to write it? It's, it's fun. There's what I, I'm also thinking about is the science behind comedy. Like there's, uh, there's pauses, there's subtleties to really funny comedians where, they use, you know, if, if it's TV, obviously there's a facial expression, but if they know they're being recorded, then they're going to put a different spin on a joke just because they know there's no visual context right. for a lot of these things that they're doing. Um, Jimmy Carr wrote a book about comedy. Yeah, yeah I read it. <laughs> See, and, and, and he was talking, he was trying to break down the different sides of comedy. And if you look at it, it is actually, there's a lot going on with a joke and and the surprise or delight, because you obviously have to surprise the brain in order to get a joke, because if it's too cliched, then yeah. people know that, you know, I know exactly where he's going to go with that cow joke. Yeah. But if there's a surprise at the end, that's when the audience erupts in laughter. Yeah, that's it's just a misdirection. And, and the idea that, I mean, you get it, like what you described is exactly that. And it, it doesn't change no matter how how much what you're doing right it's it's literally like misdirection you're going this way and then you turn and everyone thinks oh i was gonna go straight and then you took another a little turn that's a joke that's what it is and so you go you listen to these long you're like oh no i'm i'm a different comedian i do these long rants and it's like oh yeah you sure you do but that just there's eight little jokes in there yeah yeah it just took longer and i find too that anything anytime where i'm i'm listening to a comedian and they there's a victim though like there's a somebody was well-meaning and there was a victim. It was like those old uh, TV sketch comedies where they would, they would plant a surprise. Like instead of picking up a dollar bill, they would drag it along because, yeah. the per- you know, it felt like it was mean spirited. Mm-hmm. And I, it's, it's funny how we, we just tend to migrate towards people that we find are 
kind of well anyway i do yeah but i find that a lot of comedians they have a dark side yeah. or and the, and there's there's going to be a population there's going to be a segment of the population that goes that's my person i find them yeah. hilarious yeah. and the next person goes not at all right i think i mean that it's subjective that's very that's very true and i but i also think that that changes so much over time and it's like what's refreshing at the moment right like we go to comedy cuz we want to laugh at the world right so if it's like yeah, like you don't want anyone to get hurt or be a victim or whatever, fine. But at the same time, like if the whole world is about like patting everyone and no one's feelings get hurt, isn't it awesome to go to a comedy show and hurt some, like some, sometimes where there is a target and you go to a show and, and <laughs> yeah. it's like, yeah, like what's funnier than the guy saying what you're not supposed to say? Oh, the, well, That's the actually, whole point. at that comedy show I was at where the guy admitted he's having an affair. And the woman he was there to meet stood him up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I mean, that was the, awesome. That was, and that was, yeah. It's just like, that's like the secret. Like, that's one of the wonderful secrets to comedy is like, and especially like crowd work and like improv is like, like improv, like in theater improv, you know, like, oh, let's keep the ball in the air. And yeah. yes, and yes, and it's like, yeah, okay. That's the secret to improv in theater. But the secret to like improv and comedy sometimes is just whatever you, the thing you know you shouldn't say, just say that. <laughs> and just and just roll with it. Just see what happens. But I and it, yeah, that was so funny when the guy got stood up and he's like, "That's ah, okay, I'm married anyways." And it was, oh man, that, was, that guy was hilarious. Like that was just like sitting there, mm -hmm. and, and and he ranked up there with lawyers and telemarketers. Yeah, like, yeah I yeah. mean, it, it was fantastic. I was like, I can't believe. I'm at a show where there's somebody who's offered himself up as a sacrificial lamb. Yeah, it was, it was wonderful. But people do that. I mean, there's so many, there's some people who get like, obviously like they're apprehensive about sitting in the front or is, is anyone going to talk to me? And, and, and it's like, no one is going to try to make anyone feel bad, but we're just looking for the funny, you know? Oh, yeah. And, yeah. and so it's all about asking a question. And if that's not funny, ask another one. And, and by the time a skilled comic has got to the third question, there's probably been a laugh. And and how do you deal with uh, hecklers? Um, I think I think heckling is kind of misunderstood. I think some people think that it's like someone going there to be a jerk or whatever. And that's so rare. It's usually just someone who doesn't get what a comedy show is yet. <laughs> they just, and, and it's your not that, your diplomacy is not lost on me. By yeah. The way. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> they just, yeah. 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 So it's like, you just need a little bit of like lessons on, on like, this is what it is. And you'll enjoy it more if you just listen. Cause it is, it's this wonderful thing where it's like, we're having a conversation, you are part of it, but I'm controlling it. And if you get to say something, it, it's going to be because I asked you, or it's going to be m moving in the same direction completely, mm -hmm. you know, like, and everyone's got to get on board with that because I think it's this wonderful illusion um, that I'm just talking, right? But I've got a plan, and it could for for newer comics, the plan is really tight. And if anyone makes you deviate from that plan at all, you are lost because you're just holding on, you know. But I mean, more professional comics or people who've been around for a while, they they can swing and move around and stuff and make it look really easy. But that's just because they're very good, right? right? It's not because it is easy. Uh, we're gonna chat some more with uh, David Cop about comedy.
back in a bit. Okay. So when you're in a, in a comedy, like you're in a comedy show and, and the night is just not going well, like you fundamentally, mm. they're just hitting a wall as a performer, as a performer, yeah. do you, is, is there any kind of uh, parachute or anything else that you can pull? Yeah, out you, to can, kind of- you can just get off the stage <laughs> and I wish more comics would because sometimes you can't turn it around. And I mean, uh, as I'm, I'm, I'm speaking now as, as Dave, the promoter, mm-hmm. right? Cause that's what sort of the thing that I have that's different than some other comics is I'm, I'm in charge of the whole show. Right. Right. Like so many comics are in charge only of their performance. So if you're just in charge of your performance, you're just going to be thinking about you, right? But as someone who's thinking about the whole show and knows, like, for example, a lot of my shows at Dakotas have several people on it, right? So you might be only doing five minutes or or 10 minutes. And if you're doing 10 minutes and things go south at minute seven, get off stage, just leave. (laughs) Don't go up there and try and turn it around in three minutes. Cause the thing about trying to turn it around is like, you'll try and you'll be like, Oh, this is going bad. I'm going to throw out a joke, but you've probably done your best joke. So you're throwing out your third best joke and that doesn't work. And now what do you do? You don't have better jokes. There's only a worse joke. So you throw that one. It just goes down and down. Just get off, just leave. Just I, admit it. Just say this is going horribly and leave. So the the night in question that that I was there, and I obviously I've seen lots of comedy shows, but your comedy show, the for the most part had like we had a best time, and and I brought a friend there, and he says, "Man, I haven't I haven't laughed that hard for a number of years. Thanks so much, and and what a gift it was." Mm. But then there was the one comedian who is just. And, and, and literally it's tough to watch because, yeah. you know, they just, they came up, they tried an opener yeah. and it, that, that didn't fall. And then he tried to do some crowd work and yeah. that didn't work. And then all of a sudden you can just see the, the sweat forming on his upper lip yeah. and you're going, man, just dude, shut it down. Like, well, just I shut wish, it down. I, like. You can't get away from that, no matter how long you do it. You can hear about pros having, like, the best, oh, your yeah. favorite comics in the world will talk about bombing constantly. And it's like, if you're not bombing, you're not trying hard enough. So I'll, personally, I I don't I don't fault anyone for having, like, a bad night. Because so many variables out of your control. Could, who knows what it could be, right? Because the thing is, like, you see this big audience and you're like, oh, there's 50 people here. It's like, well, no, there's actually four groups. Right. And one group might all be from Latinos. You know, like I did a show on the weekend and my wife's from Chile. So like she brought some friends. So we had a whole table of Latinos. It's like they're not going to get the same jokes as other people. So the comics would come up. I don't know what's going on at that table. It's like I do. (laughs) They don't speak English and they just got here. And so, so, and and other groups will be somebody's birthday. Sometimes someone dies and they want to cheer up. So they go to the show and you're like, what are you doing here? It's just going to be horrible. And so you can't take it personally. And you got so many shows. It's like one bad show. Fine. And then, I mean, that's you're constantly reviewing your material, and I'm sure whoever that was went, "Oh, I'm never telling that joke again," because you're like, "And how many times can that thing bomb?" You know. So you usually give a, a joke about three tries, and then you go, "Oh, that's enough of that, right?" 
And and do you vent these comedians? Like, do you do you have them perform for you, and then oh, they go? No, no, no. So how how it works? I I liken it to Dakotas is is very rare in this in this way, and I'll, I'll tell you how. Like Dakotas is kind of all in house, mm-hmm. so people will show up on a Thursday and try it for the first time, and then you know if it goes well, or if it go, or I see any potential at all. Okay, so this is open mic open night. Open mic night. Okay, so you show gotcha. up, put your name on a list, go up for four minutes, maybe three, tell your story or your jokes, get off stage. Just because that's hard enough, yeah. there's a l- so many reasons not to do that. Right. That that clears out a lot of people. Mm-hmm. It gets rid of so many people that shouldn't or wouldn't like to do this. So, because it's terrifying, right? And that's a wonderful thing. So then they get up and they have a good time. And if they have no problem with that and they're excited about it, I can tell. Mm-hmm. I can tell people who just want to check it off on their bucket list. And I hate those people. You know, yeah, yeah. like, I did it. Like, who cares? Go but home. You, yeah. Yeah. That, it's people who, people that's who not genuinely. respectful. No, it's not. To the art. Not at all. So yeah. those, I don't like those people. And those are, they're rare, but they come around. And, but I can tell when someone's like, oh, oh, I always thought about doing this and now I did it. This is feel, and they're like, they're like floating when they get off stage. They feel great. And you can tell. And so those people, I'll be like, that was great. Come back next week. And they'll come back. And our group of comics, we all work together. We all can tell when someone's got that little spark. And so they'll, the comics will approach them as well. And they'll talk to them and stuff and be like, yeah, this is for you, you know? And then they'll come back. Do it a few more times, eventually kind of like get into it. Like you can tell it's like, honestly, it's like a drug. So they're addicted. Mm -hmm. That's it. They're addicted. And you can tell because they'll come to open mic, but then they'll also show up on the weekend and they'll watch all the weekend shows and they'll be like, this is so great. And some of them will ask me like, oh, give me some tips, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just, I I tell the same thing. I tell everybody, just do it for a whole year. Yeah. Just, and and then you have something to yeah, to yeah, shape. Yeah, exactly. Until then, you don't know like what's the use. Mm-hmm. So I, they just show up, and then eventually, here's the thing: like they go from open mic to a weekend spot, and the first weekend spot's this tournament. So I go call it comedy blood sport, and you get three minutes in the first round, and the audience votes. So you might statistically you won't make it to pass the first round. You got a one in three chance, mm-hmm. and then the sec- second round's top three guys. First, second, third, winner walks out with a couple bucks and that's the show. But that that's the next step. So it's like, you know, you did it. You did you did 20 open mics or mm-hmm. 10 open mics, whatever. You have three minutes of material, let's do this contest. Right. Now is so let's say you have a moderate success and, mm-hmm. and you you're starting to get some momentum. Can you actually make some money doing this like yeah you'd have to tour around as, as a as a as a business it's, it's the stupidest thing you could do <laughs> but like, like if you were to write down on paper your odds of success and how much money you get paid if you are successful like this is the dumbest thing to do for money right it really is like you could like if you compared it to picking up bottles yeah stick with, stick with the bottles well, those two liters. I mean, those. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, you get twenty like, twenty cents for those, right? Oh, yeah, you can yeah. you can win. Yeah, like hey. you're winning. Yeah, you, I don't and care you, who you are. And you take the cap off, you win twice. You win another two liters. See, and that's some. That's when I talk about momentum. Yeah, that's momentum. That's real momentum. Yeah, yeah, two liter bottles. And and then when people drop off the bags, yeah, I mean, that's when you know. Yeah, okay, I've, yeah, I've got a franchise. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a business. So compare that to comedy. Whew. <laughs> I'll take the bottles, but, 
There are people who succeed, but if you don't go into it to like get money, don't. It's dumb. Like have fun, have fun at every single step. Sure. And then, and then eventually, there's fun in all, every step. And if you're doing it right, it never stops being fun. And there's there's like we have a lot of local comics who, um, are headliners. I mean, they they headline here, they headline in other cities like around. I mean, the one thing about comedy now has nothing to do with comedy, but. Uh, Canada's just massive and gas is expensive. Like, what are you going to do, right? <laughs> the further you drive, the less money you make. So people <laughs> stick around here. But um, yeah, there is potential to do it. And there's, but it's like a, I, I, I think it's, it's a hobby you can learn as an adult, yeah. which is rare, right? There's not many hobbies you take up as an adult and you have the potential to be paid to do it. Like, I, it seems to me that'd be very hard if you're, and, and no offense, but, 20 year olds who don't really have the battle scars on a soul, yeah. like a Louis CK who yeah. raised children and said, you know, there's dark rings about his former wife yeah. and, and just the deadness in her eyes. <laughs> and, and anybody who who's been around for a while knows that look of, of a mother. Like yeah. they're, they're just, there's just, they're just basically bone tired trying to get through the day. Yeah. And then you're like, Oh, it's, it's uh, romance time. Yeah. And you know, the way he carved that story out, it's yeah. because he lived it. And I, I think it would be tougher for a younger comedian to just try to figure out. Cause there's in some comedy, there's pain mm. and there's some suffering. And of course we put a spin on it and it's hilarious, but you almost need a little bit of that. Well, I think, I think uh, you're, you're right, but I think there's a truth at every stage of your life. And I think we romanticize our youth. And so as long as you're genuine, you, you can, you can write some great comedy. Like it's just about being genuine. And I mean, there's, there's, stories and feelings that you have when you're 20 that are hilarious mm -hmm. you've just got to be really honest about them and the idea just because currently the these there's this these brilliant comedians who are in their 30s and 40s and 50s doesn't mean that there can't be someone brilliant as a teenager and and there truly can and the the the, the other thing about starting when you're young is there is a skill set that that has nothing to do with the the content of your material mm. that you can learn at any age and so somebody who starts really young is just going to have an amazing skill set and they're going to they're going to try and put their spin on the world or their take or whatever into their comedy and it might seem juvenile but the skills are there and then as they get older they, they have the ability now to really get across those things. Like, like Louis C.K. started when he was like in his teens, right? Chappelle started when he, I think he was 14. Right. And so these, and these guys were like, like killing it. Like they weren't just okay. Like they were amazing at, when they were young too. Right. And so, um, you, you, you can learn it, but I, but I think, I think it's like, it's just about the ability to connect and being genuine and not pretending to be something you're not, right? Because that's honesty is is so important in comedy, right? You can sense it. Yeah, and, and when you see a performer who has some level of, I don't even call it relaxation, but they're, they're just fundamentally, you can feel that they're not agitated. Mm -hmm. They're not, you know, thrown off by the microphone, the lights, the people staring up at them. Yeah. 
and there's a there's just this sense of calm. Yeah. I really resonate with those performers because for them, they've they've figured out who they are. They're not supposed to be anywhere else in the planet, but yeah. right there yeah. at that time. And that's when I start to go, okay, I don't even know what you're gonna say, yeah. but I'm probably gonna get some level of enjoyment because mm. this is a wonderful connection you're having with the audience. Right. And I think I think that that's true of stand up, but that's also true of of all art. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like it's like, how do you get to that level? And it's like it's very few, very few people do because, I mean, so many people just don't make art. But like if you if you make art and you've and you've got to a level where you, you have some mastery of it. Like that's what it is, right? That's what it it is to to be a great actor. That's what it is to be a great painter, or whatever. It's like it's like that, whatever that flow state. Yeah. Right. It's like people describe it in all kinds of ways. Like they describe it like flow state when you're creating art. But there's also like there's also like this like super hyper awareness because when you're on stage as a comedian and let's say you are in that moment and it's not like you're going to be in that moment all the time, right? Like you, that's your goal. Mm -hmm. But but. When you when you do connect, it's like it's interesting because you're present, but you're also two steps ahead. Yes, and, and also looking at the past and also being hyper present. So it's like this, it's this uh, a bunch of things because you need to know you you're the master of that moment, right? Everyone's in the room, but everyone's listening to you, and you need to be able to pivot and you need to know where to go next and anticipate the next move, right? Sort of like a chess guy, like thinking four moves ahead, right? Yes. So you're playing with the audience and you got to be a couple moves ahead or you can't, you're not in charge anymore. And and what I would find frustrating is there's different moments in our lives and it might be at a barbecue, it might be at a, a bank lineup, it might be at a gas station, but there's these moments when we hit a funny bone with whoever the audience is yeah. and we want to re we want to rehearse or recapture that moment in front of a crowd. Yeah. I mean, I had... I had one of those moments at a Big Brothers Big Sisters regional convention where I was relaying, I was supposed to go up there and talk about what, how meaningful it is to be president of a board, but instead I just talked about our inadequacies as people running a board and people thinking we knew what we were doing, and uh, it killed. <laughs> and I remember thinking, Oh, you did it, right? You yeah. take the thing you're not supposed to say and you just say that. I did. I told I, you I was, that's the secret. I was very honest about <laughs> yeah. it, but I think that's the key is is when you see people that have that brutal honesty, shockingly so, and people go, Oh my god, that's me. Like when the guy did the foreskin uh bit and one of our group was talking about the fact that he was maybe not circumcised. <laughs> yeah, and and there's Caleb. He's so funny. And it just turned into something. Yeah. And you could never, like, the fact that it was, it kind of came out of nothing. Yeah. It was pretty funny. And, and it carried through the night. Like, we just kept carrying it on. Well, think of how many movies, like, that whole, like, are built around that buildup of, like, a moment. And then the guy goes, you know what? I had some notes, but I'm not going to use them. And then he's like honest, and everyone's like, "How did he do that?" That's that's it. It's the same thing. So, do you have do you have like that joke that you find? Okay, it's getting a little bit slower, and now I need to kick it up a notch because I have a DJ friend who says I play Bob Seger old time rock and roll. Yeah. Whenever the dance floor is getting a little bit, you know, minuscule, so I just pump that tune out, and man, I I nail it. Do you ha do you have that kind of? Well, jokes come and go, 
right? Mm-hmm. Like they're 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 not always ripe. So you can and they they don't feel the same, right? So they can expire. Yes, they have an right? expiry date. Oh, yeah. they totally do. And for the audience and for the time, but as well as for yourself, you don't want to be repeating the same thing constantly. And there's always like there's this magic of the first time you tell a joke. That's like, you know when like when you see comics and you could tell that joke was in the moment. Yes. It's a little bit funnier. Well, it's got like some I said, yeah. energy in it, right? Yeah. It's got a little bit of the spark in it. And that's what stand-up is. It's like, it's the first time you tell the joke, it's like after that, it's just trying to recreate that. And like, you're looking for a moment to put it in and have that spark of being in the moment, but you're pretending to be in the moment. And you, so you have to create the moment. It's like this weird thing. So sometimes a joke can do that, but sometimes it can't. So and you don't have like, a timeless joke. Oh, no. <laughs> no way. <laughs> No, I wish I did. That'd be great. No, no, because think about this. Think about the best comics you've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And think about watching their specials that you thought were hilarious when you were a kid and go watch them again and see how funny they are. Not the same. It's not the same show. Jim Jeffries and the gun control. Yeah, I mean, th- there's bits that are amazing. Yeah, there's bits that are amazing. But you know what I mean? Like if you put on something from the 80s, they you know that that, that exact set wouldn't be recorded the same way today. It just wouldn't be. Well, Times Eddie, Eddie Murphy, and, Raw and Delirious would be a great example of yeah, that. Yeah, everything just changes. It's still funny. It's still funny, but you watch it and you watch it through a little bit of a lens of like, that's the time. Right. And I mean, content aside, like, I don't even care what he was talking about, but I just mean the way that it's delivered. Mm-hmm. The way that he tells jokes and, and everything is, is, is true of a time. It's a moment and it changes. And like you look at how many jokes per minute there were in sitcoms. Versus like a movie today, it's like, you know, a Judd Apatow, like funny movie will have like a joke every 15, 20 seconds. Whereas like you watch Airplane and it's like, you're like, what? It's so <laughs> slow. But it's it was the funniest thing that anyone ever saw at the time. Yeah. Right? Yeah. No, the, the, oh, nice stuffed beaver. Oh, yeah. No, I just, uh, yeah. <laughs> no, it, it, it was truly one of those things where, and, and I, I grew up with, uh, you know, Blazing Saddles, Mel Brooks, and mm-hmm. and those kind of comedic geniuses. Yeah, um, Ferris Bueller's Day Off, like so the, good. just there's so many great comedic moments. So, so in your eyes, who is at the height of their powers? You think as it stands today for for comedy? Oh my gosh, um, I don't. I honestly don't think anyone could top Louis C.K. right now. He's just he's still the best. He is, isn't he? He's, he's well, Chappelle would be another Chappelle, kingpin. Chappelle's, I, I, I just look at them like they're both the best at what they do, but they're doing something different. Right. Right. I think Louis C.K. is uh, a genius. I just think what he, I was going to say something horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I think what he did was great. Um, <laughs> but no, in he, public, you mean? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, no, but when you watch like his output, his creative output, and the way that he can go from like stand up to filmmaking, TV, and just like he does it all and does it so well and crushes it's, it. Yeah. It's like a masterclass. Everything he does is like, it's so good. It's like when stand ups will watch him. You just go, oh, well, that's <laughs> that's done. That's the best. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> you know? Well, I think it was Spade that was talking about the fact that he went on to a show and he said there was a few people on that night and 
And then this last minute arrival and he jumped up there and, and he said it was, uh, it was Robin Williams. Yeah. And he said, I felt like a failure when, when I was up again, because he said, there's truly nothing I could have done that was at the height of what he was doing. And he says, it almost made me want to retire right then and there, because mm -hmm. he said it was just different. It was, it was such a different level. It was different stuff. And he looked at his own stuff in comparison and paled in his estimation, even though we're probably our own worst critics. Sure, sure. And I think, I mean, comparison is the root of unhappiness or whatever the that, it is that thing is uh that people say and I, I i truly think that's 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 the way it is but you, i mean if only the best people f performed there'd be no one <laughs> there'd be no one right there'd be like one guy and that would suck <laughs> so and everyone pushes everyone else right we'd all get better together and i think i think it's easy like especially in Kelowna, it's like we have so many comics and a lot of us have been around a while and, and it's easy to forget that we're all getting better as time goes. So like every once in a while, I'll remember what it was like at a show five years ago or six years ago. I'm like, oh, that was a totally different kind of atmosphere. And, and then you forget what it's like to be the guy that's never hosted before and he's right. hosting for the first time. And I mean, as long as you're having fun, who cares? <laughs> like, <laughs> People show up and they laugh and <laughs> and that's enough. And maybe it's not the same laugh they get if they saw like the funniest guy in the country or whatever, but eh, <laughs> it's just like, it's good. So just because we're running out of time and I'd love to chat with you more about this, but it's because it's, it's so imminently interesting to me, but what advice would you give to people if they're thinking, even thinking about trying this out on open mic neck? Is there any advice you would give or stop thinking? just do it this is like the like the all the prep for your first time it doesn't mean anything just just write three minutes try and write something funny like look it over until you think it's funny and if you think it's funny just do it that's it because you can you can overthink it for years there's so many people who are like i mean think about doing open mic for six years like why just think about it for two days <laughs> Like every, everyone else on the open mic just wrote their jokes on the ride there. Like it's, it's open mic. Yeah. Like, don't overthink don't it. Don't overthink it. Just do it. Show up. Have fun. Okay. Let's, uh, let's talk about the events and, uh, how to get tickets and all that kind of good stuff. So how do people get more information about, um, we're, we have a website, colonacomedy.ca, but, uh, the cool thing about Dakotas is, is it's nonstop. There's always a show Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So there's an open mic on Thursday, starts at seven, goes till like 10. Uh, there's a show Friday, 630, another show at 830, uh, Saturday, 630 and 830. And there's always a show. So um, come on out. Like we do fundraisers on, on Fridays, typically the early show. We donate 100% of the door towards the cause. Um, and then we'll do like a weird contest or whatever at eight thirty. Then Saturday we do a wine tasting show, super fancy. Ooh, yeah, bougie. so fancy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like so what we, box does it come in? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's nice. It's nice. And uh, and my my uh, my wife's there, and she she'll run the door. Andrea will run the door, and 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 she helps with so much of what we do. Actually, she makes it. A, all happen and then uh and then at, at uh 8 30 we'll bring in like pros typically that's the saturday late shows like when we'll bring in touring pros or local pros 
Okay. Yeah. So well, five got, shows a week. I got to tell you, uh, just from a standpoint, personal standpoint, it, it, I forgot how much I love just going to a show and, and, uh, and just enjoying different performances and that kind of thing. So I, I urge anyone listening to this, uh, take some time out of the schedule and have a laugh. Like it's, it's great. Cool. Yeah. Please do that. Thanks for uh, coming on the big show and we'll probably talk to you soon. David Kopp. Thanks everybody.